Welcome to the True Face Podcast, where we have conversations about what we can learn from what's going on in our lives. My name's Robbie Engel, and I'll be your guide as we learn how to increase trust and experience grace. Most of us get stuck in our relationships with God and others, and we end up wondering, is this really all there is to it? That's why here at True Face, we equip you to experience deeper relationships with God and others, building a toolbox of relational discipleship tools to help you help churches, families, organizations, individuals experience deeper relationships with God and others. And today on this episode of the True Face Podcast, I am here with my friend Josh Rutledge. Josh is the Vice President of Spiritual Development at Liberty University. He's been there for about eight years. He's married to Meredith for about 13 years. He's got three kids, a four-year-old and twin two-year-olds, Annie, John, and Ruthie. So he is probably just as tired as I am. Josh, welcome to the True Face Podcast, man. It's about time. It's overdue having you on this thing. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on, Robbie. Been looking forward to this. So Josh, Josh and I uh, became, I was up there with Richie McKay for a cohort and got to meet Josh. Richie is the the basketball, uh, the coach of the basketball team at Liberty. Got to meet Josh. Uh, Josh, I, I, Josh took Bill and I out to dinner and Josh took me to this place that had one of the best steaks I've ever had in my life. And so you know, if there's a cheat to accelerate a friendship, it's buy buy a guy a really nice steak. So I, it's all because of the steak that that was a catalyst, I think, for us becoming just friends uh, in a similar season, processing uh, all kinds of stuff in life. And then after that, Josh and I got to get into a cohort with Bill for a couple years. So we've got some time and some reps together. And Josh and I were on the phone a couple weeks ago talking about the next generation. Uh, here at Trueface, one of the tools that we're working on is kind of a, a three-part study, which will take probably a year for us to, to develop on uh, who is God, who are you, and, and what does it look like to follow Jesus in community? So kind of a foundations, Gospel 101, for a new believer, like a psychographic, a target audience of a 19-year-old, not a Christian, he becomes a Christian and he goes, okay, now what does this mean? Uh, what would we want them to know? Like, what are the foundations to faith, to understanding God that all of us wish we knew? Because I was, uh, we were processing about this um, and there was some stuff I learned after 15 years of being a Christian about like the Holy Spirit or the meta narrative of the Bible or like, what, why did they do sacrifices in the Old Testament? It, it, you know, what are the foundational things? Is it major? Is it minor for the next generation? Cause it's so different. And so I called Josh and I said, Josh, you uh, are the vice president of spiritual development at Liberty. So you're surrounded by tens of thousands of that person. Uh, and Josh and I started a conversation and I'm going to wear him out over the next years. We build this, build these teachings and small group studies because uh, he's the guy that I know that knows more about it and thinks about it all the time. And it is, it, it is a different group. And so J Josh and I were talking about it. And I said, dude, we need to just continue to come talk about it and kill two birds with one stone and record it for our friends who listen in. No pressure, yeah. Josh, but no, no will, doubt. You, will you help all of us in the true face tribe understand in the next 30 minutes everything we need to know for the next generation <laughs> of how to articulate this original good news with nothing new in new ways based on their needs so that um, we can change the world. Yeah, easy. 
so straightforward. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Give us some um, context to, to your journey to liberty to this yeah. this whole thing from you. Well, first, I got to say that part of that steak dinner was was purely because I was in the process or had recently uh, adopted twins, and you've done that twice. And so, um, if there's ever that obvious of a cue from God that I missed that. Hey, I brought someone to you that might be able to help you then, you know, that was it. So that was in large part, I need to talk to this guy to figure out how to do this. So that was the, <laughs> but that was a, that was a special night. That's awesome. But your question, I mean, your question about formation, I think, or just foundations of the faith, I think gets, um, it's a really critical one. Um, it's a really critical one, I think for the church right now. Um, you know, I think it's really easy to slip into this kind of defeatist mindset within the church where you, you look out and you see you know, rates within um, young people, uh, you see trends, whether it's from the latest study or survey that show declining numbers. Um, you know, in many ways, I think the church looks at their youth and sees it as this inevitable loss. Um, and there's little pockets, of course, of outliers and whatnot, but um, there's this sort of mindset of defeat. And I think in many ways, the reason that this question has become so relevant uh, for me over the last couple of years is finding myself in a position like the one I am in now, where I, I look out often to, you know, rooms filled with hundreds, thousands of young people, majority of whom Christian grew up in the evangelical world. Um, who, who, if, if I were to introduce you to them, Robbie, you wouldn't go, Oh no, what a, what a lost cause you would go. Uh, are you kidding me? Uh, that's a, that's a phenomenal young man or woman who's really hungry, um, hungry for God, hungry for the word, hungry for training and answers to questions, um, that I think the church quickly needs to assert itself and answer. Um, and I think, so in other words, I think it's the same content. I think the message that obviously an organization like True Face has uh, been instrumental in its own area in um, sharing widely, take a, take a book, you know, like The Cure that taps into a generation of people so that there are thousands of people who read that book and go, oh, that is me. Um, I think the next, I think the next evolution of what True Face becomes in the future is helping the church take that same message and go, what is the question being asked now by the, the generation um, coming behind, um, coming behind the one? Um, that was a part that was there at the beginning when true face was founded. What's that, what's that next question? So I think that's kind of what's at the heart of what we're trying to do. So, uh, since I'm two and a half years into transition and the board has asked me to reimagine an expression of a ministry beyond John, Bill and Bruce for the next generation, taking this message and the essence of the message, um, is uh, spoke truths of the good news to a generation that said, you understand, that's me, that is clarifying. 
um, really uh, the room of good intentions, the room of grace, pleasing versus trusting God, spoke to a wide swath of us that were on the path of pleasing God in in, in a sense. And uh, and there's a lot of donors and supporters who are in this thing going, hey, we, we believe in this message of grace and identity and understanding what Jesus made possible. How let's take this message of the original good news to the next generation. And you and I have talked about this and you're saying uh, it might not, it's going to be different than pleasing the room of good intentions because that's maybe not the right question or the, the where all of the next generation's hanging out. Is that what you're saying in that? Yeah, I think so. So the message doesn't change, but uh, the audience has changed in the church. Uh, the And so in the same way that if you and I were going on the, if you and I were going on mission to a foreign country, you and I would spend a tremendous amount of time, uh, hopefully, if we're good at what we do, learning about the context and the culture. We'd want to try to learn the kind of person that we're going to go share the good news with, and then we would take the message and we would uh, we'd make sure that it's applied effectively to that. So it's the same message, but it gets applied differently depending on the, the person you're talking to. I think the... I think the same thing has to be done today to a certain mm-hmm. extent, even within our own church of the generation coming up now, now Gen Z. Um, and I think it's the same message, but I think it's going to get applied um, differently because, because they're asking a different question. And I think, you know, the easiest way to describe this, you know, for me is um, I think in many ways, this, the current sort of, certainly what I Am, am witness to is a generation of evangelical um, young people who have a really clear vision of where, let's say, the church of their parents and grandparents probably um, probably got some things wrong. Um, in other words, it's really easy in hindsight to look back and to see sort of the church of, you know, grandma or granddad, you know, as in many cases, erring on the side of what we'll call the room of, you know, pleasing God. And um, I remember when I was a church planner, um, you'll get a kick out of this. When I was a church planner, we, uh, prior to coming to Liberty, I was uh, working in a church plant as the executive pastor. And we inherited a building from a church that had closed its doors. Uh, It had been a vibrant church back in the you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, but it had lost its young people and it had slowly dwindled down to a group of, you know, five to seven uh, senior citizens who were closing the doors and they handed the keys to us and asked us to sort of, you know, breathe life back into the, the church and the building. Mm-hmm. And when we were renovating the building, I found a group of us found some old cards and there were literally cards that would be left in the pews um, that were a point system of where over the course of the week, you could sort of literally check a box of, well, if I read my Bible, if I uh, came to church, you, you check that box and it would build up to an overall point where you give yourself a score mm. each week. Right. And for us as these uh, taking sort of inheriting this church, it was, it was this real sort of throwback witness to, wow. Um, that's a, that's a way of doing things that, yeah the, uh, talk about the, talk about the room of pleasing. Um, it's a cycle that I think a lot of 
Christians, not just young Christians, but certainly a lot of evangelical young Christians find themselves in. Um, and it's this pattern where let's start with somebody who gives their life to Christ. If we were to talk to them, they'd say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Um, they walked an aisle, um, they got baptized, um, in whatever sort of denomination that they were part of they're, they're in. Um, and then they, they fall into this pattern that is very common. Um, and when I share this among the students that I get the privilege to work with, I uniformly will get, um, I'll uniformly get feedback. That is, that's exactly the pattern I'm in. And it's the pattern that goes, I become a Christian, um, and then I'm going along my merry way, and then I sin, and then I feel guilt about it. I feel disappointed, so I go to God, and I have some form of a confession or repentance. So think of it as this cycle where it's sin, and then you have some sort of like sense of guilt or um, remorse. And so then I go to God in some sort of confession, repentance, penance kind of stage. And then I get some sort of cathartic release where it's, ah, yes, I've been, you know, what was that verse about? You know, Jesus said, forgive him seven times 70, like uh, all of those sort of things. Um, and then you, you feel like that guilt is off of you, but then you go on your merry way. You feel good about it. And then a couple of days go by and boom, I sin again. Uh, once again, guilt, shame whatever the, whatever the emotions are that springs up and then, but here's the difference. Now, when I go to God in confession, now there's this, there's, there's this acknowledgement internally that, oh, this isn't the first time I've been here. So now not only am I repenting of this sin, but now I'm having to repent of the fact that I, I must not have meant that before. Um, so now I'm repenting of the previous repentance too, because clearly it didn't take, um, and so now my repentance, my confession, my whatever it is I'm doing to try to get this feeling off of me, um, it takes a little more effort. Now I'm, I'm praying a little harder. Uh, and then I, get my, then I get my sort of, you know, let's call it cathartic release. I get this sense of, ah, yes, all right, yeah, God, God forgive me. Um, boom, sin again, all right? You start to go around this cycle and then all of a sudden, now it's it's not enough to just tell God I'm sorry. Now I'm now I really mean it. Now I'm like, uh, now I'm crying before God. Now I'm I'm really upset about it. God, please, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. um, now all of a sudden, I find myself. Oh, now I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to the altar and confess this sin publicly to somebody else. Like I'm gonna share it in a group of accountability. Like in other words, it weirdly becomes this cycle of me going deeper and deeper into. It takes more to get the guilt off of me. Yep. Um, and then you get the cathartic release. And then eventually you get to the point where you go, you know what? I think I understood. I don't think I was ever saved. Um, I wonder if the problem has been I was never saved in the first place because if I was saved, then surely I wouldn't continue to be doing these things. So I think I'm going to walk the aisle. I mean, Robbie, there's, there's students that I work with that they're 18 years old and they've walked an aisle six to eight times. Yeah. Um, and big surprise by the time they're 21, um, they go, you know what? I wonder if this just isn't meant for me yeah. because it's not working. Yeah. Um, I've done everything that the church asked me. I've repented. I've walked that aisle dozens of times. Maybe they're, in other words, they start to not so much doubt God as much as they start to doubt 
a, a level of self-doubt that that might be for you. Like maybe God loves you, Robbie. Yep. Um, but I don't know if he loves me yep. uh, because if he loved me, then shouldn't I have seen some change? Um, shouldn't something have been different? Um, and it's just this endless cycle where, you know, it's the, here's the real oddity in an attempt not to be legalistic. It ends up in this hyper form of legalism yeah. where you Sin end management. up, you end up striving and straining to try and do something within a theology that tells you, you can't do anything anyways. Yep. So you just end up going, I'm just pleading with God to change me. Um, and then you're waiting on God to snap his fingers. And then finally one day, but think about what that, think about what that kind of theology says about God. Who's just waiting to, in other words, but here's the, here's the oddity in no, nowhere within that cycle. Does someone ever stop and go, maybe if I trusted Jesus and obeyed him, maybe that, maybe there'd be a, maybe there'd actually start to be steps of victory. In other words, what's not on the table is any sense of maybe, maybe if I started to change, then I'd start, maybe, maybe I'd start to get different results. Maybe the person, the sin I'm dealing with is simply the fruit of the kind of person I am. And the message of the gospel is not that overnight, I'm just like, you know, God's going to snap his fingers and magically transform me as much as the message of the gospel is a grace that I could step into and trust and believe. And that actually would be the grounds to deal with my sin. So I start to take, it's not that I start to take sin less. I start to take it more seriously. We have pitted these th two things together where we think it's the same age old problem where we've pitted grace against any measure of my role in actually trusting Jesus, trusting the spirit's work in me. And as a result, I think it leaves people frozen so, where they feel helpless. So what I hear you saying is the the pattern of sin management doesn't work. You try harder, you try harder. And then that shows that you're a liar. This doesn't work. And so you question your faith and at 21 go, I've tried it enough. I've repented enough. I've walked the aisle eight times this doesn't work. I don't work. This isn't real. And they go on that way. The, the tension is, you know, like what is the catalyst to, to break out of that? I hear you saying is trust, which we can't overcome stop, but trusting, um, what Jesus made possible in the spirit to overcome that with a framework that it'll take a lifetime of moving, um, to, to practice trusting more of God and not striving i hear you also saying cheap grace like that this generation is going um the cheap grace of just like it's okay but but i i don't hear that of because they're trying really hard so i hear sin management and, and so obeying more that's a thin line though of of that goes down to the essence of our theology of obeying like I need to change and do something, but not on, I need to stop trying on my own accord and trust God to do it through me. Is that the essence you're alluding to of where, where grace looks like where trusting God looks more like obedience with a healthier foundation. So that obedience doesn't just perpetuate the sin management patterns. I think, yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. Um, I think, I think let's define though, what we mean by trying harder in this cycle that I've described. Um, I don't think they're trying harder looks like any sort of tangible effort to overcome sin. 
it looks like much more, um, honestly, just mental anxiety and stress and burden hmm. over like their, their effort becomes not, not anything sort of productive toward actually like, I you see. Know. So you're saying younger it, generations, their attempt to try harder and do better is to repent harder and to like, woe is me harder, not change. Uh, yeah, because they've patterns. been, because they are saturated in a theology that tells them um, you can't, but Jesus can. And that's true, fundamentally true. Right. Uh, but the message, but the message that, but it, but here's the thing that the question then becomes great. So once Jesus did, um, am, what is my role? What does it look like for me to live that out on Tuesday? Do I just have to stay in this pattern or is this, is, is the role of the spirit in me going to be some work that I don't have any, um, that there's no expectation on me to do. Um, so it's, it's, it's almost like, I mean, there's, I have a word for it. Um, and I call it fruit theology. Hmm. And it's this theology that like, if God saved me, then there will be fruit. Um, and I can't produce any of that on my own. So therefore there will be fruit. Um, and then all of a sudden I inspect my life and I go, oh no, there's no fruit. So therefore Jesus must not have saved me. So in other words, what do I have to do to get saved? Well, uh, so that's what the trying looks like. The trying looks like just this continual cycle of like, well, it didn't take this time. I think I'm going to try again. I think I'm going to walking out again. I keep waiting for God to do that thing for me that I can't do for myself instead of trusting that G what Jesus did actually did work. How do I trust that? How do I live that out? And that doesn't look like me sitting back waiting for, for God to just finally snap his fingers and provide the magical cure for, um, you know, these, the, the challenges that I'm facing with, it looks like me practically starting to live it out. You know, Charles Spurgeon has this quote where he says, uh, grace is not, grace is the mother and the nurse of holiness, not the apologist for sin. And I think you're right to bring up this idea of cheap grace. It's an, it's an old term at this point. Um, but I think, I think it's a constant, um, temptation within the church. And I think a lot of evangelical young people, um, are, are fully swimming in it. Mm. Um, and it's funny, you know, if you were to go and ask, if we were to walk around, um, Christian university today, pick whichever one you want, you probably, I'm just, I'm, I'm willing to bet you probably wouldn't find many young people, uh, who, if we were to, if we were to look into their lives, it's probably not that they have this legalistic view that they are earning their salvation. None of them would, none of them was, would, would claim that. Mm. Um, none of them would, in fact, the vast majority of them wouldn't be thinking too highly of themselves. Mm. They would be thinking wildly too low of themselves. Average evangelical yeah. young people, it's like a very low self-esteem. Um, and that, that and it's sad to me sometimes when in the church that not only doesn't get called out it actually gets um affirmed as oh that's just humility yeah. you know like yeah. oh that's this really they have this really low view of themselves and this high view of god it's a dangerous it can be a real dangerous trap um when people fall into it 
I love that. And I, I think that captures it as, as we've been wrestling with this, this, this ditch on the right, you know, it's a narrow path and the ditch on the right is pleasing, striving. Cause that is comfortable for me. And that was the primary, um, that, that was a, the, the primary ditch for the previous generation of which you're saying Gen Z saw and said, uh, striving, earning legalism, do better, be better, you know, to be a Christian. Um, and that, and, and the other ditch is equal to it because it's the, a response to what keeps me in control. And just in, just like striving the same side of the coin, the other side, the same coin is abdication, passivity of going, Oh, I'm good. I'm forgiven. I'm made righteous. Um, Christ is in me, the cheap grace of, so I'm good. Um, and, and that is, that is lowering the call to what Jesus made possible and say on the imitators of Christ opportunity. And that's, ab- and that's keeps me in control as well through abdication, passivity, and, and, and that faith step of one step at a time, trusting him. Yeah, it, it is a, it is a, that Ephesians five, one of, I am a son. Nothing will change. I'm good. I'm righteous. I'm a saint who still sins and therefore be imitators of Christ uh, because he has more. He has promises and guidance. And you're saying the next generations, um, the the ditch on the right was the the message of the pleasing room of good intentions that was bigger for the, the um, that was the bigger ditch that kept people out of the room of grace of trusting God for the previous generation. And and your sense from your work with these students is that the other ditch is where most of these students are. And your hope is going, how do we articulate this message to those needs and the sin cycles, the fruit theology, all that is indicative of that. Oh, we're good. We're in the ditch, but we're forgiven and, and cool. Yeah, I know. I think you're exactly right, which is why I think those, those young people in that ditch, what they're desperate for is, uh, um, is it possible? So in one sense, they're also looking for examples, like yeah. who are, who are the saints that they go, it actually worked. Like that person actually followed Jesus and their life isn't a train wreck yeah. of just sin and whatnot. It's sad to me that so often the very like heroes that are held up are people yeah. who it's just a complete train wreck of morality and it's like but great news like yeah. it didn't matter anyways like and it's like it, it's not that there's not beautiful stories of grace and redemption wrestled through a lot but then in the long trajectory of a life spent in obedience to jesus you become the kind of person who can walk in a room and actually love someone else and everyone else knows it who walks mm-hmm. in a room and can put the interest of everyone else above his own and you go i'm not i'm not claiming that um that thing that that happened overnight but could i be that yeah could i become that how did you how did you become like that um well it didn't happen by accident you know it happened by trusting who god says you are and then doing that today and then tomorrow and then the next day it's i mean eugene peterson called it a a long obedience in the same direction yep and and all of a sudden you you don't have to. I heard this pastor one time talk. He, he summed up the Christian life by it's just two steps forward, three steps back, three steps forward, two steps back. You know, I get a little better in some areas. I get a little better and worse and round and round and round we go. And I thought 
my goodness, put that on a billboard. Like that'll get people a fight. Like what a miserable way to yeah. take the message of Jesus that said, come to me, all you who are laboring, I will give you rest. Like take my yoke upon me and learn from me. Jesus had a high bar, a high expectation. And it's not because he had a lot of expectation of what I could do on myself. He had a huge amount of expectation on what I could do once the spirit of God lived in me. And that's where Jesus can close the Sermon on the Mount with be perfect because I am perfect, because what he was going to do on my behalf and other people was going to create the capacity for me to become something that I could never have become on my own. But in and through the spirit, I could, I could actually become what I could not do before that, that message of freedom though, Robbie Mm. is also a message that if somebody doesn't want that, for, for somebody, that's great news because yep. it's, are you kidding me? I don't have to stay enslaved to sin. Yep. Like I don't have to miss shots. I could, I could follow Jesus and practice this and grow and become more like him. And I won't get there on this side of eternity, but guess what? Eternity is really long. So I have eternity to continue to grow in the knowledge of God. I get to do that. Yeah. That's what's afforded to you because of what Christ did on Calvary. Josh. This is so fun, and I, I love how you started this and said um, too, too much of the, the capital C church has a defeatist mindset um, and w- in evaluating rates and trends among young people. So as we wrap up, I, I, want, I want you to circle back to that and, and leave us with something uh, who are listening to this, thinking about the next generation um, to, to balance the man. Like, how do we, th- this is so helpful to think, how do we love them? How do we meet the needs of the questions they're looking for with the truths that as we were a different audience than they are, and it is honoring and serving them. And so, so anything you want to leave us with, but I just wanted uh, to thank you for um, loving the next generation and using your time, talents, and treasures to try to help them experience the longings of their heart, what they're looking for, which we know the only source of that is found. And, and for the broader True Face tribe that continues to support this ministry as we're working on this stuff and redeveloping ways to help this message reach more people, um, this True Face journey, this nine-month group um, discipleship initiative that's launching in August, September, uh, is a journey uh, for young with young people in mind that we can help lead them a group of six to eight people a season behind us to experience and apply these truths in their life because man the longings haven't changed peace mm. and freedom um whether we we try to to earn and and achieve the longings of our heart pull us into the right or the left ditch that's human nature and the next generation will go back to the right ditch or the left ditch mm. but man this faith journey is is what this trust looks like and what he made possible, um, which is amazing. And and if we got it and didn't need to wake up tomorrow and trust him again, we'd miss out on him loving us and showing us and and tomorrow. So Josh, no doubt, this is so fun, man. I'm so thankful for you and being able to process this stuff. Um, what are your hopes for us as we as we wrap up and land this and think about the next generation? Yeah, I'll just I'll just leave you with a brief word of encouragement. Um, and, and one, thank you for the opportunity to come on and chat with you. Um, honestly, this conversation has been like many of the phone calls that you and I've had the opportunity to have where we just hop on the phone and 
talk it out loud. And mm-hmm. so I think all we did today was have one of our phone calls. Recorded. That's right. Um, so it's been really fun. I think what you guys are doing is really important work. And this is why, and this is my own hope. Um, and it's my, hopefully not just hope, but it's encouragement to, to someone listening. Um, it's, it's easy to fall into this defeatist mindset. Um, the, but, but the one who is not in a defeatist mindset is, is God and what God is going to do, um, what God is going to do is the same thing that he does every time, um, that things, uh, start to look bleak, that the old foundations start, um, to wither and crack and to show their flaws and sin gets exposed and things hidden get revealed and that painful work, um, uh, that painful work occurs. Um, what God, what God is going to do is what God always does. God w- is going to raise up people, um, men and women, and it will not take many who will stand in radical contrast um, to a world that is more and more just completely bankrupt. The secular world is not uh, is not growing. The secular world is is in the borderline death rattle. It's it's bankrupt, and young people are the witness to it where they will tell you that the check already bounced. Um, it's coming up bankrupt. And what God's going to do is raise up a couple key people, uh, people who, um, will take up the mantle of men and women of old, um, mm. and they will be faithful and they'll take him seriously and they will be just a blazing light that other people go. I thought that wasn't possible anymore. Like who, who is that? And it won't be some, uh, it won't, it won't likely be some celebrity figure. It'll be really bold, faithful people who live transformed lives mm. and it'll shake the world because it's the truth. Yeah. Like, so they'll live the truth and the truth ends up as the lies crumble, like the yeah. truth gets revealed and that'll be carried by a few people who, gosh, they, they don't have the conversations even that you and I are having. They just don't know any better than to obey yep. and trust God and follow after him. And they just leave the rest in his hands and he does something remarkable with them. I think that's going to happen. The only question is whether or not people like you, me, and others who are listening to this call go, I want to be a part of it. Um, yep. I want to either be a part of helping raise that up um, or maybe that's me, Yep. you know, um, maybe God's doing something in my life. So let it be so amen god we pray those and let this tribe be a part of that great witness for the next generation because i'd say more than a few it'll be it'll be a great witness for those on the narrow path that will be a contrast and and god we get to be a part of that which is a pretty epic adventure and um it 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 makes me think of uh heavenly man brother yoon do you ever read that one josh uh that one haven't uh people People pray. Uh, well, he's a church planner. He's still alive. He's been planning churches in China, house churches for decades. Mm. And, you know, Westerners and others would go, man, we're praying for you in times of persecution, of heightened persecution from the church. Uh, that uh, We're praying for you that they lighten up. And he goes, I don't pray that anymore. Um, mm. I- I'm watching when there's difficulties, I watch the church thrive and grow um, and and when it loosens up, I watch us get a little dormant. And uh, it was such a cool reframe. Uh, and they wow. say they say going to going to um, prison for Jesus is like going to seminary, you know. And and they you know his his reframes of like oh the, the secular world is getting louder. Maybe that's a that's a 
the time where God is going, oh, he's smiling watching the kingdom grow and rate and he will raise up people and he yeah. will raise up a tribe. Amen. We pray that and we we uh man, how humbling is sons and daughters to be a part of that kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. It's it is fun and it is an adventure and Josh Keep on it. Stay on it. Thanks for being on it with us. And thanks for listening into this. Share it, like it, subscribe to it. Appreciate y'all. See ya.